I thought if Casanova and I and Zara had nothing to say to each other, he'd get bored. Go away. Instead, he uses it as a chance to put his testicles all over me. Uh, his what? Uh, how you say, uh, octopus, uh, testicles. <laughs> tentacles. And T. Tentacles. Ah, so tentacles. There's a big difference. <laughs> Hey, this is Marty McFly, and you're listening to Hydrate Level 4 Presents Podstalgic, a film podcast on core temp arts. Wait a minute, wait a minute. Are you telling me you built a time machine out of a podcast? Welcome to another episode of Podstalgic. I'm your host, Peter. This is a podcast where we take a nostalgic look and rediscover movies new and old. And for this episode, we're doing another older review. And joining me on this episode is returning guest Tom from Jake and Tom Conquer the World. Hey, Tom. Hey, I am so happy to be back. Yeah, well, thank you for returning. Uh, the last, oh, yeah. The last, yeah. last time you were here, we uh, covered all four four of the original Karate Kid movies with uh, Pat Morita. Mm-hmm. Yes, yeah, uh, that was a lot of fun. A lot of fun. We got a lot mm-hmm. of love. Um, a lot of new listeners found me. Um, I'm not sure if anyone reached out to you, but uh, you did see some of that love on online as well. Yeah, yeah, I... I definitely saw it and it's much much appreciated yeah absolutely and uh, so you're joining me for uh, better off dead and just a little i don't know fyi to the listeners here if you didn't know we uh have a special interview that will be uh included later on in this episode with miss diane franklin who played monique uh in this movie as well um, I want to thank her uh, for giving me the opportunity to speak with her. It was a lot of fun, and she shared a lot of great memories of the movie and some of her uh, previous work as well. Um, Tom, before we get into anything else, for the listeners that may be tuning in uh, this show for the first time or maybe heard you for the first time, can you talk a little bit about your podcast and what you and Jake do? Yes, uh, I am the co-host slash uh, showrunner, managing editor of a goofy little podcast called Jake and Tom Conquer the World. Uh, we're all about pop culture, movies, comic books, uh, television, things like that. Uh, we are occasionally lucky enough to have interviews with comic book professionals. Uh, sometimes we just talk off the cuff about whatever is bugging us that week or whatever we find funny. Uh, definitely check us out. Uh, you can find us wherever you can get a regular podcast or if you're one of the people that have a a Google Play phone or uh, Android phone or whatever they're calling them this week. Get the Couch Party app. It's free. It's awesome. And you can listen to us and a whole lot of other cool shows. Yeah, definitely check them out. Uh, I, I've been on a couple episodes. Two, yeah, two, three, four times. Yeah, like yeah. That. Not enough. Yeah, not, not enough. Uh, you know, I'll, I'll definitely come on anytime you'll have me. Oh, I've got plans, sir. Oh, okay. Awesome. We'll definitely have to get together. <laughs> Yes. Uh, so this movie, Better Off Dead, uh, it came out on wide release October 11th, 1985. And j- just looking back when the movie came out, uh, the number one song at the time was Money for Nothing by Dire Straits. Yes, I distinctly remember that song, and I distinctly remember that video. Yeah. It was one of the 
first uh, all CGI videos out there. It's kind of like, um, I, I did look up the video. Uh, I do remember the song. It's a good song, mm-hmm. totally 80s. It kind of reminds me of like, aha, uh-huh, you know, except for it's got color. I can see that. Yeah. Um, looking back on it, 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 I haven't seen it in probably 20 years, but I can't imagine it's aged well. Oh, you you know what's funny? Um, I, I have the listing of the billboards here, and Take On Me by AHA uh, was number one mm, about a month later. Yeah, that sounds about right. Yeah. yeah. So yeah, so you, you can kind of see like the the uh, the inspiration there. Um, now the the weekend this movie came out, some of the other titles was Silver Bullet, uh, which is the the Stephen King property, and Remo Williams' The Adventure Begins. Silver Bullet, I love. Uh, I know it's one of those cheesy '80s horrors, Stephen King movies that they were just cranking out at the time, but but I, I still love it. And Remo Williams is one of those movies that I know I should watch, and I should, I would probably love it. I just haven't watched it yet for some reason. Yeah, that seems to be the big hit that weekend. Um, I don't have the number for um, for Better Off Dead since it was a wide release. It, it came out a few months earlier in the year, uh, limited, um, you know, which is kind of interesting. But yeah, 1985, big year for a lot of movies. Uh, you know, the number one movie at the time, or actually that year, was Back to the Future. Uh, you also mm-hmm. had Pee-wee's Big Adventure, Real Genius, uh, Teen Wolf, so... Yeah, a lot of a lot of great movies, uh, but Tom, this movie Better Off Dead is the first time. This is the first time you've actually seen it. Yeah, it's uh, it's been on my radar. Uh, my biggest overwhelming memory of it was I used to listen to a show, a talk show out of uh, Detroit, and they used to use drops out of this movie all the time, and I knew where it came from, but I just never watched the movie. What well, what were some of those uh, drops? Uh, the primary one was, and I, I can't remember what the context was that they used to use it in was, uh, the, the paper boy who kept saying, I want my $2 <laughs> and isn't it such a shame to see them throw out a perfectly good white boy like that? Right. Which was also a line used in, um, <laughs> men at work. Wasn't it? Oh God, it was. I think it was. <laughs> yeah. I haven't thought about that movie. Man, I- I you know I think I'm gonna watch it before I go to bed tonight. I haven't watched that yeah. movie forever. Yeah, there you go. Uh, so this movie for me, I didn't grow up watching this movie. I actually came on to this movie uh, a little bit late. Um, my history is that the first time I watched this was actually uh, I was a listener of uh, another podcast. So I wasn't even podcasting yet at this time. And they announced that they were going to be covering Better Off Dead. And what I used to like to do was I would watch the movie and I would write in. And so I was like, you know, now's the time, now's a better time than any to, to go ahead and do that. And I enjoyed it. I enjoyed it my first watch. Uh, this is probably my third time since then. And it's probably... Uh, the first time I watched it was probably back in 2013, I want to say, 2013, 2014, maybe. Um, okay. And I think it's great. I, I think it's uh, it's, it's funny. Um, I can see, you know, like the way it's directed, it reminds me of stuff that like Ace Ventura, oh, not Ace Ventura, Jim Carrey was in, like, like Ace Ventura. Uh, you know, just very quirky, just kind of random things happening, even... Even movies with like Adam Sandler or like a Ben Stiller to a certain extent, you know, just you you have your A plot, but then you have all these little things just 
kind of popping out out of nowhere. You know, you kind of mentioned like the Paperboy, for example. That that kid mm-hmm. pops up like every 15 minutes throughout the movie. <laughs> just just kind of a reminder, like, hey, I'm still a thing and I still want my $2. It almost reminded me of like a parody of the Friday the 13th movies. He was like this little demonic Jason Voorhees kid that was stalking the main character and it just happened to be for something completely ludicrous, like $2. I mean, yeah, I mean, we have inflation. You know, the dollar isn't the same as it was back in 1985. But even back in 1985, $2 wasn't that big a deal. Yeah, I mean, it plays like a horror movie. He is uh, He's wearing black, um, so he's got a, a kind of a costume himself. And if it's nighttime, you got like the fog and the music changes anytime he's on screen. And I like that too. I like the musical cues. You know, we haven't really quite gotten to the guests or the, uh, the cast yet. But when Monique, the French exchange student, when she's on screen... She has her little theme as well. You know, it's kind of mm-hmm. like the the MIDI version of, um, oh gosh, uh, Arrested. Uh, what is that name of that song? Um, Arrested by You. So there's like a, a stripped down version, sounds MIDI-like, you know, that, that would play when she's on screen. And the only time the actual song plays is, uh, I, I think, the... The restaurant scene where Lane takes her, you know, to to a dinner. Mm-hmm. But okay, um, yeah. let's get into the cast real quick before we start talking more about the movie. So uh, Lane Meyer is played by John Cusack. Uh, he is the lead. He is this, um, you know, teenager who is recently dumped by his girlfriend. Uh, she dumps him for this this other uh, student who's like the head of the ski team uh, apparently is the only one that can complete this k-12 route i guess on the mountain which is extremely dangerous um and because of this lane goes through the movie and attempts i don't know five different or makes five different suicide attempts ish yeah about that yeah um, and then along the way, you know, he uh, he meets Monique, who is the French exchange student. She is currently staying with the, the Smith family who lives across the street, uh, Mrs. Smith and her son, Ricky. Um, that is play- Ricky is played by Daniel Schneider. Uh, Mrs. Smith is played by Laura Waterbury. Um, some of the other cast, we got uh, Amanda Weiss, who plays the girlfriend slash ex-girlfriend, uh, Beth. And let's see here. Let's uh let's throw in um Booger right from Revenge of the Nerds. Yeah, uh, he plays Charles in this one. And is um, his name like Curtis Anderson or? Yeah, it's uh his name is Curtis Armstrong. Curtis Armstrong. Curtis yep. Armstrong. And uh, did you recognize any of the uh, Japanese men that would always try to race Lane? I did. I couldn't place them, but I knew. I know I've seen them before. Uh, the the one that was the the announcer in the passenger seat that was chosen yeah. from Karate Kid Two. Okay. Yes. Yes. So That's this is this is kind of crazy because we got some ties here. So <laughs> yeah. Yoji Okamoto, he played Chosen from Karate Kid Two. Later on in my interview, the listeners will hear that Diane Franklin actually auditioned for Karate Kid. I'm not kidding. Obviously didn't get the role, you know, that that went to um, Elizabeth Shue. So she talks a little bit about that too. So it's kind of crazy. And then, uh, you know, I asked you to come on uh, for this review of Better Off Dead, not knowing any of this stuff uh, before. No, that is uh, a nice little synchronicity going on. Yeah, in the podcasting world, you know, who knew? Yeah. So Now, yeah. there were some other notable people that I 
I was very, very surprised to see. Uh, the, the father is played by uh, David Ogden Steers. Uh-huh. Uh, for those of you who may not recognize the name, I guarantee you if you love you know, television, you would definitely recognize him from MASH. He, he played Charles. Oh, okay. I, I, I don't remember much except for a clinger, you know, dressed up mm-hmm. as a woman trying mm-hmm. to go back home. That's it. <laughs> and uh, if you love classic westerns, uh, you might recognize the mother that uh, was played by Kim Darby. Uh, she played the young girl in the original True Grit that hired John Wayne to help avenge her father. Oh, okay. I, I do remember that. She was she was quite mm-hmm. good. She was. Yeah. Uh, totally she, different role. I know her from Teen Wolf 2. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> but but I did see the original True Grit. I did see okay. that. Um the uh the father you mentioned him he seems to be i have to think about it but i feel like he is the only straight man in this movie yeah well i mean he is a little goofy at the beginning when he's running out to save his uh, garage door from the wrath of the paperboy dressed mm-hmm. in his wife's nightgown right the, the nightgown i completely missed that the very first time i saw this movie mm-hmm. <laughs> but, but yeah mm-hmm. it's uh you know i he is sleeping and then all of a sudden he hears like the the bicycle, like it's the paper boy. So he's rushing. You know that's that's the first thing he grabs. So you know that's that's what I'm gonna uh, chalk it up to. But yeah, it was uh, quite a funny scene. This this entire opening scene, this first I don't know five minutes. So you mentioned the dad in the gown, the the paper boy, um, and then shortly after we we find out. You know they start out with this whole deal with the mom. The cooking and this becomes like a uh, like a recurring joke. You know, the the mom making really weird meals. Uh, she boils bacon. You know, um, <laughs> and that's the tamest thing that they see on on screen as far as her meals are concerned. Yeah, it it really is at, at this point, and it looks really weird. I don't know what she's cooking it with, but or boiling it with, but it's it's isn't it like green or something? It looked green or blue, or it definitely didn't look like bacon. Yeah, no, no, it didn't. Um, it, I don't know. It, it, it is really weird, but I like the scene in the kitchen where the dad's trying to get cereal, but like every box is cut out because, because <laughs> yes. the little brother Badger is cutting out all those, uh, what, what are they called? Those, those things the you coupons. cut. Yeah, yeah. The, yeah, the coupons to, to mail in for, for, uh, for, for gifts and toys and stuff like that. But, I just, you know, I'm just thinking like, how do you, how do you film something like that, right? You gotta position all the boxes just right so that way when the father pulls out the boxes, each of them just drop out all those cereals. So it's it's well, quite funny. They they had a great callback on that later when John Cusack is despondent and <laughs> going down. His mom leaves him a note to feed the cat. Feed the cat, mm-hmm. and so he grabs the cat food, and the cat food has the coupon missing. He doesn't even notice it, and he's just kind of walking throughout the kitchen. You got this huge trail of cat food. What does he do? He sits down, doesn't pay attention, pours a little bit out for himself in the bowl, pours some milk on top of it, and it, I just thought it was just a very good, very funny gag, and he totally sold it by being completely straight-faced. Yeah, I, I really enjoy it. Uh, I didn't mention it, but the, this movie is directed uh, and written by first-timer Savage Steve Holland. So this is his very first movie. Yeah, uh, and, and the amazing thing about it is that I, I was looking this movie up on IMDb, and his IMDb listing is as Savage Steve Holland. Right. 
Yeah. Which, I mean, you figure in the 30 years or so, he would maybe become a little bit more tame and just going by Steve. No, right. he's yeah, sure. still <laughs> Savage Steve Holland. Yeah, he's still making things uh, at this time. Um, I'm just looking at his list. Uh, I think the last thing I saw that he made was, gosh, I don't know. I mean, I've seen some of the fairly odd parent stuff. Uh, I'm not sure mm-hmm. if I've seen any of the TV films that he's he's made, but I did see One Crazy Summer, which was, um, you know, the movie that uh, he directed right after this, also with John Cusack. I, I remember that one when I was a kid. But um, okay, so so Beth, so Beth is the girlfriend that that dumps Lane. What do you think about like his closet, uh, his bedroom with all the pictures, specifically the closet where every coat hanger has a picture of her face on it? Creepy. A little creepy, obsessive. Creepy. Where he would wake up, the first thing he would do was roll over, grab her picture, stare at it, carry it with him to the bathroom, carry it with him into the shower. Creepy. They, they've been together six months. Yeah. And the other thing I noticed is this is 1985. By that point, color photographs were well within the reach <laughs> of normal people, but all of the photos in this movie are all black and white. I thought that was very odd. You know, maybe they're Xerox copies. You know what? For as many pictures of her as he has, it would have to be. But, you know, when uh, they cut to the scene of the girlfriend in her room, all of her pictures were also black and white. You're right. That's what was really weird. And you know what? Speaking of that particular scene, I thought that was done really well, too, because Beth is on the phone and she's talking about somebody and we're assuming it's about Lane. You know, she's looking at mm-hmm. this picture of him, but she removes it and then replaces it with uh, with Roy Stalin. Yeah, and I thought it was really weird how, I mean, as a first time viewer, right out of the gate, I'm watching this and I'm like, wow, I don't like either one of these people. You have a, a creepy, obsessive boyfriend that is plastering his girlfriend's face all over the place. And then you have this one girl who is willing to just get rid of a guy who is clearly devoted to her because he's not popular enough with the other kids. It's or just like, or wow. handsome, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. Or, you know, something as important as his car. Yeah. Yeah, really. Um, so currently he has like a Camaro that uh, is out of commission. So mm-hmm. what is the car that he's driving right now? Do they do they say whose it is? Is it his parents or something? I, I think it is. It's just an old grocery getter slash station wagon. Yeah. Dragging muffler, you know, awful radio, all sorts of things. Um, another thing that happens in this very beginning, and I, I forgot this too, uh, but we do get Monique in the very beginning. Lane doesn't see her, but he comes out of his house and she like opens up the window and she sees him, you know, smiles a little bit. So, um, so she's already taking notice. And then, so we find her the, find out that she's staying with the Smiths. Uh, what do you think about her situation? And I don't know. Are we to assume that, uh, that the Smiths are part of this program just so Mrs. Smith can set her son Ricky up with the That was exactly <laughs> what I thought. Yep. Very, very creepy. I mean, the characters in this movie were just bizarre. I mean, I don't think there was a normal person to be seen. Right. No, not at all. Um, I no. mean, even Charles, right? Charles snorts everything. Um this doesn't jello even, snow J- jello was the weirdest thing um weird 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 characters in this movie i think we could have used a little bit more of charles because it seemed like he was really 
uh, Lane's friend, and I wish he could have been kind of like kind of that guy to kind of nudge him on with certain things. Maybe he wasn't so much needed because Monique did a lot of a lot of the. I don't know, like when they first meet officially, I guess it's she comes up behind him and like shoves him to the ground, you know, apologizes for it. Um, well, not only that, but by that point, Curtis Armstrong, he was a fairly well-known commodity. He was already in Risky Business. He was already in uh, Revenge of the Nerds. I think mm-hmm. he was getting ready to go into Moonlighting. So he wasn't a bit character, you know. He wasn't just, you know, a... A generic actor that they got off the lot. He was in some pretty big movies. I, I was really expecting to see a more substantial part. Yeah, yeah, he does have some good scenes though. Um, yes, like uh, I'm trying to think here. Oh well, he's got some good lines too. There's a moment in class, which I, I've st- <laughs> I think this classroom is so funny. It's some kind of math class that everyone but Lane seems to love. Mm-hmm. And but we do find out like at the end of the class um, that Charles, played by Curtis, he He's like uh, he's been at that school for seven and a half years. Yes. <laughs> it's a great line. That that was something that I could relate to because I, I well I think everybody's had that high school experience where there was a huge assignment and for whatever reason we didn't show up prepared at all and we get to see everybody else around us completely ready. They have their work. It is organized. It's presentable, and we have nothing. Yeah. Yeah, Lane pulls out a piece of paper that he he wrote to himself that says "do homework" with a piece of gum inside it. So yes. he he spat gum in this paper, folded it up, and stuck it in his pocket. Yeah, that was <laughs> that was great. <laughs> I thought it was pretty good. The the the, the teacher was uh, pretty hilarious too. Um, we I guess this I, I I've listened to a couple podcasts in the past, and I don't think many people have really talked about. Like this, um, these daydreams or these times that uh, uh, Lane drifts off and 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 starts just kind of imagining things. What's your take on that? You know, like uh, for example, when he was drawing during lunch, and then uh, you know Beth as as a cartoon is talking back to him. Honestly, I'm kind of wondering whether or not Lane's completely out of his mind. Yeah, because he has some bizarre dreams, even for a teenage guy. They're they're a little bit psychopathic. But you notice that as soon as he and Monique really kind of start to hit it off, those dissipate. Yeah, slowly. I mean, they're still mm-hmm. there. Um maybe maybe but nowhere near as yeah, nowhere near as frequent, nowhere near as demented. Yeah. I I kind of misremembered like the whole shower scene in the beginning where we see him like taking a shower with socks on, mismatched socks. Mm-hmm. And I thought that maybe that was because of the breakup, but that hadn't even happened yet. So, yeah, you're right. Even Lane is a little bizarre himself. Mm-hmm. Uh, let's talk about uh, the dinner with the two families. Um, <laughs> so, Monique, okay, so this is jumping ahead a little bit, but for for the entire movie that we've seen Monique so far, she has been speaking nothing with, uh, but French. You know, people would speak English to her, and, and uh, she you know, wouldn't comprehend. And so in this dinner scene, Mr. Meyer, he, he's, uh, I forgot what he said to her, but he repeats it like two times. And each time he gets getting louder and louder as if she's deaf or something. But did you have any thoughts on like, did you think 
she understood English because Mr. Meyer, he even says as much like she's a foreign exchange student. Of course, she speaks English. Honestly, I was kind of wondering whether or not they were going to have her speaking English. I, at this point, I, I could imagine it going either way. I, I just thought it was really funny where they had the running joke of, well, here's an American. Here's an English speaker. They have no idea how to speak the other person's language. I know. I'll just shout in a very slow, methodical manner. That's sure to work. Right. And, and it never does. And um, I – so – we haven't. We kind of teased it, but we didn't really talk about some of the suicide attempts. Um, there was one right before the scene where Lane he he kind of like dressed in a bunch of material that are flammable, and then mm-hmm. he finds what is it that he finds in the garage? The because um, there was they were out of gasoline, but he finds something else. But it then, was some kind of fuel, I thought. Okay, yeah, so they have the dinner, and then after the dinner, uh, Mrs. Smith, who's also over for dinner, she lights up a cigarette and blows herself up. <laughs> and the the best part about it was the the immediate scene afterwards where Lloyd's driving uh, uh, Monique and I can't remember, was it David? Uh, Rick, uh, Ricky. Ricky, yep, driving them back home. Gee, I'm, I'm really sorry your mom blew herself up. <laughs> Just so casually, like it happens every day. Right. And then those Japanese brothers, they pull up again. And so I've counted, and I think Lane um, raced them like four times throughout the mm-hmm. entire movie. And I like it how the first two times, I think it is, um, they would pull up next to him. And he's like, oh, crap, you know, and he gets ready. He puts on, like, the goggles and, and like, the, uh, you know, the, the the rubber gloves you would wear to wash dishes. And I think it's comical. But uh, did you find any of that funny at all? Like, the, the race and the... I thought it was just really bizarre how he keeps that stuff at standby just in case he runs into them. Well, clearly, they are always looking for him. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> They 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 know that they can always count on beating Lane. I think that's what it mm-hmm. is. Yeah, I think that's what it is. Because they're looking for that family car. You know, once they find it, they and it's just coincidental that he always uh, Lane always runs into like the, the this dude who works at like the the pig burger. Well, that and just they're they're walking around. Well, they're they're driving around with huge loudspeakers on the roof of their car. <laughs> It's like what are they? They they're promoting the the Blues Brothers concert to save the orphanage. <laughs> yeah, it could be. Uh, I think it's just it's hilarious because it's just so insane. Yeah, I mean, I did not n- know anything about this movie, and so I was just dropped into it, and it took me honestly. I I had to stop it about halfway through, walk away, and then come back and start over at the beginning because. This is a very, very surreal movie. I had no idea what it would be like going into it. Mm-hmm. Uh, watching it, knowing what it was going to be like, you know, the second time around was a lot better. Okay, great. <laughs> <'Cause> <laughs> it was. That's good. Um, I like how, like, in that in that racing scene, Monique's like she she steps on like Lane's foot, so so they um, so that they, that way they would race, and then they end up in like this. Muddy pond with like white ducks, which was uh, kind of yes. out of nowhere. Um, just a lot of funny little gags, you know. It's it's like little little skits you would find like on SNL, just sprinkled in, um, you know, here and there. But 
I kind of like what you said, or you mentioned the Blues Brothers things. Like, I can see maybe not quite inspirations from that movie, but some similar humor. Now, you know what this movie reminded me of was V8, not VHS, but UHF. Okay, I have seen that the, one, but I know it's Weird Al, right? It is. It's completely absurdist humor, completely random humor, and completely surreal. I got the same vibe from this movie as I did from that. Okay. Yeah, that, I mean, if you haven't seen it, I definitely, definitely recommend it. Yeah, I've heard people talk about it before. Um, it's just one that I hadn't gotten around to. Um so Lena and Monique, they're uh, they're having lunch at the school, and this is um, that moment where Roy, the uh, the bad guy here, the the, the bully, and I kind of like how he's not like a physical bully. He never really gets physical with Lane. It's just a bunch of trash talking here and there. He's, just, he's a dink. He's yeah. a professional dink. Mm-hmm. <laughs> he kind of reminds me uh, a little bit of um, is it Ted McGinley? A little bit, like like a poor man's yeah, McGinley, see that. and yeah. I think I'm drawing that comparison just because Booger is also in this movie. You know, like he has a similar hair, and I don't know, may, maybe that's what they were going with. But I, yeah, that's that's kind of who I kept on seeing anytime they showed Roy. Um, but I I like the scene where Lane and Monique are having lunch, and Ricky's like tagging along, but but they sit somewhere where there's really no room, so. Ricky grabs like the book that this guy's reading and just tosses it so the guy would leave uh, to have a seat too. Yes. So I want to talk a little bit about uh, Monique too because uh, again, yet uh, at this point we haven't quite figured out that she speaks English. Um, so we'll just actually go to that point where Lane finds out that she speaks English. But not only that, we um, early in the movie. We it's it's kind of a blink and you miss it moment, but in the when we when we're first introduced to Monique, she is wearing like a a baseball cap, and Mrs. Smith comes into the room and then she like removes the cap, but here she's like pitching baseballs at like some kind of sign, right? And she's talking about like Dodger Stadium. That's why she came to the states, but she's into baseball. She fixes cars. She skis, learns English. I mean, I I kind of mentioned this in my interview with Diane Franklin, but I feel the character of Monique, you know, she's not celebrated enough, you know, for being, you know, uh, Savage here is kind of forward thinking and making her, you know, giving her all these um, these talents or uh, Diane Franklin says, you know, Monique is very capable. And she is. Yeah. And if you think about a lot of the other, you know, uh, female roles from the 80s, not not many dimensions to them, right? They, I mean, they have their you you have leads and stuff, but I think with Monique, they they just give her like all the things to do here, you know, to to really make her more not compatible with Lane, but you, I, I think as the audience, you feel that they should be together for like they they balance each other out, right? Like he's got this broken car, she can fix that. He needs help with skiing, she can teach him. Um, the baseball thing, well, that pays off in the end, I think. Well, I'd almost say that the car was um, a metaphor for Lane because at the beginning of the movie, his father is saying, hey, it's just sitting around. It's not doing anything. We got to get something going with this. Otherwise, it's going to just get thrown out. Uh huh. Same thing with Lane. It was broken down. It was destroyed. The only reason it, he even had this baggage on him was because of his ex-girlfriend. Right. 
in comes this new girl. She literally helps fix the car, and in turn, she helps fix him. I like that. Yeah, I, I can definitely see it. Um, we're talking about the Camaro, and I can't. I keep thinking about this the the car scene where he's trying to you know another attempt at suicide, where mm-hmm. he's got like the hose, uh, carbon monoxide, and and that fails. Um, now, obviously, suicide is nothing to laugh at, but his attempts are pretty comical. Um, do you have one that that made you laugh, or were you, you know, how did you react to some of those attempts? Uh, the 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 carbon monoxide one I thought was funny in a dark humor kind of way, where I, I don't know, just the little things with like the, the stuffed animal where he's offering him a drag of the cigarette and all this and that. Uh, and of course, it, it, the the payoff is he finally passes out. He's at death's door. What does he do? He falls on the shift gear and he crashes through the the garage door again. Um, I think the one that I left um, out loud the hardest was probably the one where he tries to hang himself and his mom, she opens up the door and and, uh, she's like vacuuming, but she's the one that knocks him off. uh, Well, the funny part about it is that right before that, he has a moment of clarity and a second thought where he's like, what a second. What am I doing? This is this is ridiculous. <laughs> then she opens the door and inadvertently hangs her own son. Right. Oh gosh. I. It's funny. I'm sorry. Uh, if it, it is dark this, humor. Uh, this is a dark movie. Uh, right. Again, I didn't know what I was getting into, but it's a dark movie. Right. Oh god, I love it. Um, let's uh, let's jump to the end here, where. You know, we get a little bit of montage of uh, Monique give, giving him some, you know, pointers on, uh, on on how to ski. Well, he, Lane can already ski, but what he needs to tackle is this K-12 route, I guess we'll call it. Um, my favorite part is when she she kind of goes down the slope herself, and then Lane's mm-hmm. like, well, you know, if you can do it, I can do it. And then he just, epic fail, right, all the way down. Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, uh, again... She's fixing him. Right. It's not that she's teaching him how to do it as much as she's giving him confidence in himself so that he can do it on his own. Which he ends up doing um, mm-hmm. inadvertently, uh, just kind of running away from, yet again, the paper boy. <laughs> <laughs> Which I thought that was the best paper boy scene where, again, he's like Jason. He will not stop until he either settles the score or takes him out. He's got, you know, skis on his feet. He's got skis on the the tires of the the bike. It was amazing. Right. It, it was pretty good. The the um the part that did scare me was when Lane I, I forgot what scene it was, but Lane was by himself and it was at night and then, you know, um like in the in the foreground, you you see like the paper boy, but then all these other paper boys Paper boys started showing up and chasing him too. I thought that was actually kind of kind of creepy, you know. Like, it reminded me of the birds. I never seen Hitchcock the birds movie. I, I don't know why, but that's the first thing that popped in my head. I'm sure, possibly an inspiration, <laughs> but uh, I, I believe you. I, I know, I know a friend who's actually scared of that movie. So yeah, um, but yeah, that was definitely a creepy scene. But yeah, this one on you know on the mountain. Um, Lane, well, previously, uh, Charles broke like his bindings or his bearings or something on his, uh, 
on one of his skis. So he's skiing like one footed, and um, we I, I did forget. I kind of skipped over the part where he. I think it's 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 Lane that challenges Roy to a race on K twelve, and it's so funny too because like once they that challenge is made like like two seconds later it's announced over the intercom at school <laughs> yes <laughs> i thought that was pretty good so so lane is like running away from the paper boy but then he makes it up to the very top where roy's waiting for him and with one ski goes all the way down he fumbles but he keeps you know you know uh getting himself back up and you know um maybe maybe this is you know like a metaphor or a bit of um symbolic symbolism yeah symbolism you know where so he's he's like broken he's got his broken ski but he is you know doing his darnest to pick himself back up right and he Mm -hmm. ends up completing this um so it was a it was a great scene and i kind of forgot how it uh, ended initially so when he is greeted by beth at the end you know how and that in itself is a trope too where it's like oh the old girlfriend decides that um you know, hey, I'll give him another chance or whatever. And I was like, oh, wait, how, how does this end? Does does he go with Monique or does he go with Beth? I kind of forget. And he does go after Monique, but it's kind of kind of silly too because like Mrs. Smith and Ricky is dragging her, you know, uh, across the snow, and um, and then Lane goes after her, and he has like a bit of a sword fight with Ricky too. I thought that was all pretty hilarious. <laughs> yes, yes, Ricky was another creepy character. But you know what? Even he finds happiness in the ending. Now, that, was that the same girl with the the, the 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 braces and the headgear earlier in the movie, or is that a, is that a completely different girl that came out that of was nowhere? A completely different. That's what I see. That's what I thought too. I was like, well, well, this this came out of nowhere. You know, it was just very convenient. But that girl with the the headgear, that was a pretty funny scene too. Yeah, uh, it reminded me more of a, a. I don't want to say a business transaction so much as. It really uh, was, though. <laughs> they, they settled the lawsuit out of court before it was ever seen <laughs> in front of a judge. That's exactly what it reminded me of. Yeah, well, I mean, uh, apparently... Now, is his dad a lawyer? I, I just I just know that his dad set him up with a colleague's daughter. But I, I don't think they ever mentioned, like, you know, what is it they actually do. So Lane goes over there to pick her up. And she's like, hey, look at here. This is how much it's going to cost for dinner, for dessert, and we'll just split it down the middle. And how about you just give me the money and we don't go out? <laughs> and he writes around <laughs> a check. I, I love it. It's great. It's just completely, uh, just completely kooky, you know, and absurd. I, I just I find it hilarious. Mm-hmm. No, this was this was a fun movie. Once I knew what to what to expect, and I I kind of figured out what the flow was, and I went with it. I I really am happy that you recommended this movie to me. Oh, I'm I'm glad. I I, you know, um, in hindsight, I probably should have kind of like gave you a heads up, like, hey, it's like dark humor and very kooky, uh, and maybe you wouldn't have stopped the movie halfway and restarted it. You know, you would have known what you were getting yourself into. Um, it's funny also that uh, earlier on Twitter, I think uh, Hannah from Film Rose, she kind of put something out there. And um, I, I think it was saying something like list movies that start with B. And I saw, yeah, yeah you were part of that thread. And it's so funny because I think at least three times Better Off Dead was mentioned. And I'm mm-hmm. like, well, well, we're about to do that movie here pretty soon. So I thought that was kind of cool, too. So Again, just a nice little piece of synchronicity with this uh, podcast and this particular movie. You're right. 
Yeah. Um, the movie wraps up, and it, there's a couple different endings here. Uh, the f- the first one we get, uh, Lane takes Monique to Dodger Stadium. You know, it's completely empty. Uh, I thought it was really sweet too because it kind of calls back to that conversation they had of her wanting to go to the stadium. Um, and that scene cuts as the paper boy. <laughs> Is riding his bike towards the mound where they're parked at. I thought that was so hilarious. No, that was that was really really good. <laughs> it's just like one last time. I wonder if he ever got his two dollars. Now my question is, I mean, the first time we see the paper boy, he is like basically squaring off with the dad. Why does why why is he going after Lane the rest of the movie? Because isn't the dad the one that pays for it? I think it was because Lane kind of back-sassed him. Yeah, just was just making up all these lies. Exactly, yeah. Grandmother uh, stole a bus full of penguins. <laughs> it was pretty good. Um, and I like the, the end credits here, too, where we see, uh, like, uh, apparently Badger was able to make a rocket ship after all. You know, causing... Yeah, we didn't really talk about the, the little brother. Doesn't thought... have a line. Oh, God, he doesn't, does he? Not one line, yeah. Oh wow, that's that's actually pretty amazing. Yeah, yeah. Now, mm-hmm. One of my favorite scenes in the movie was uh, with the mailman, played by Taylor Negron, a, a late comedian. Yes, where he's clearly going through everybody's mail just to see what's going on, and he hands the the little brother the open package. So uh, your book on how to pick up slutty women arrived. <laughs> What's a nice kid like you picking up women like that for? It's a, it's a great scene. Um, uh, Taylor, he was uh, also in Angels in the Outfield, which is also a movie I covered. Uh, Diane Franklin talks a little bit about him uh, as well. Um, but yeah, I the mailman, the teacher, and even Barney Rubble. They all ask Lane if they can date Beth. You know, now that you know, it's <laughs> yes. <been> broken up. <laughs> oh Lord, that's uh, it's pretty funny stuff. Um, so you mentioned the mailman and and the brother. Um, another scene I liked, you know, with that book that or that magazine that he's reading. It, oh, I guess it's a book. He's watching this music video, and it's um, uh, I forget her name. It's like, isn't it E.G. I don't know the, the little brother. I don't know why, but when I was watching him, I'm thinking this is a, a super villain's childhood because he's doing things that a normal kid doesn't do. I mean, we were talking about how to pick up slutty women. Uh, he's got a, a little laser hand cannon that he's firing off at random things. He's building a homemade space shuttle. That's that's got the makings of somebody who's going to hold the world hostage for a billion dollars. It's like Dexter's laboratory or something, yeah. you know? Yeah. But, um, the, the, the actress I was trying to think of is a uh, EG Daly, you know, who's also known as Elizabeth Daly. She, she was the, um, the, the woman singing right in, in the, in the music video. Yeah. And she also voices, uh, Tommy Pickles in Rugrats. No, no kidding. But she was also, um, Dottie in Pee Wee's Big Adventure, which I also covered, that came out this very same year. Huh. Do you re- remember that movie at all? I, You know what? I have to admit, I never saw that movie because when I was a little kid, I always thought Pee Wee Herman was kind of annoying. I was at the perfect age for Pee Wee, but I just didn't take the bite. Yeah, that movie was uh, directed by Tim Burton. Mm-hmm. So I, I don't know if that 
changes anything for you, but uh, I I quite enjoyed it. I, I think it's very good, actually. Um, would be curious to see what you think about it. I'd sit down and watch it. Yeah. Um, that's all I have uh, for my notes. Did you have anything that uh, we might have missed that you want to go over? Well, yes. There was one other actress that I wanted to talk about. Uh, let me look her up. Amanda White. She played Beth. Right. Did Did you recognize her? Um, I I think I read something that she was in, but I I kind of forgot. She played Tina in the original Nightmare on Elm Street. Oh, okay. No, I don't remember which, her from that. Yes, she was the uh, the first victim. Okay. And you you've seen the original Nightmare on Elm Street, right? A long time ago. Do you remember the girl that was kind of dragged at the wall and on the ceiling? Oh yes. Eesh. That was her. Okay. Which again. It's just a weird coincidence because you and I have plans for that entire series, and here's the the very first Freddy Krueger victim in this movie. That's right. And so uh, that's a little nugget we'll go ahead and drop now, but uh, for most of October, Tom and I will be covering uh, the, the first seven original Nightmare on Elm Street movies. Yes, very, very much looking forward to that. Yeah, so comes uh, soon come, uh, as my co-host Devin at We Got Five would like to say. <laughs> so, um, yeah, yeah. I Okay, I remember reading something like that. Uh, Diane Franklin actually uh, emailed me a picture of her and Amanda. You know, kind of, uh, it wasn't, I don't want to say like behind the scenes, but, it, you know, it wasn't in the middle of filming, but it was them two just sitting on a couch, you know, during the time of filming. Oh, nice. It's awesome. Yeah. So, um yeah, that that's awesome. That uh, I I think they do still keep in touch too, because I think I've I think I've seen both of their names tied to a podcast episode on on some of the show. But, oh wow! But uh, so overall, this movie, what I like to do is we don't really give uh, ratings, you know, uh, for the for any new listeners here. Uh, but we do. Oh, I do. I pull up uh, ratings from like um, Rotten Tomatoes and IMDb. Uh, IMDb currently has it at a 7.2 out of 10. That's about 35,000, almost 36,000 uh, votes by the viewers there. And on Rotten Tomatoes, it is fresh at 82%. Okay. Um... Those, those are both pretty high. So basically 7.2 and 82%. Um, d- d- does those seem high? To you at all, or do you think it's about right? Do you, is I there... would say if I were judging it, I would maybe put it at like a seventy-seven, seventy-eight, somewhere in between them. In between, okay. Yeah, um, this is a movie where I could see people absolutely hating, um, and I don't know if I'd really be able to defend it to those people. But this is a movie where if you're in the mood for just something completely bonkers and crazy this is this is the movie for you if you want to sit down with a bunch of friends and maybe uh, just enjoy laughing at the screen this is the movie for you if you're looking for something that makes total sense that has really deep characters uh, a great story arc uh, a more traditional movie you're not going to like this movie but if you go into it again with the right mindset and just let it go and enjoy the ride. You're going to have a really good time. Yeah, just some mindless fun. Um, I think uh, this movie is hilarious. 
Uh, I'm I'm with you. I'm probably somewhere uh, in the middle. I, I'm glad that um, both IMDb, the you know the people that voted there, and the critics, for the most part, they all seem to be pretty positive on the movie. Um, if you know if you're listening to this podcast and you haven't seen the movie, you're you're spoiled. But hopefully, you know you give the movie a shot and enjoy it too. Because for me, I had a lot of fun rewatching this movie and reviewing it. Um, I think. This is definitely one that uh, people have forgotten about. So I feel it's one of those that you definitely have to had heard about, you know, mm-hmm. um, to kind of go back and watch it. I don't think anybody's ever going to, you know, sc- scroll on something and be like, better off dead. I think I'll check it out. Like somebody has to have told you to check it out in order to see this movie. So it's kind of unfortunate. I think, you know, when it came out in 85, um, you know, in limited release, it came out in August and just right before that was Back to the Future. So you had all these other big movies kind of coming out around the same time. And then you have Better Off Dead with a, a new writer and director, you know, first time um, filmmaker. And I think this just kind of got lost in the shuffle a little bit. So I, I think it just kind of came out the wrong year, perhaps, and maybe in another year it could have been a little bit more successful. Because uh, John Cusack comes out with, um, you know, the following year, he had a small role in Stand By Me, also uh, One Crazy Summer, which I mentioned earlier. So Now, do you know who didn't like this movie? John Cusack. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. he hated it. Yeah, he's very, very dismissive of it. Yeah, apparently he walked out like in the first 20 minutes or something uh, of the movie. Just, um, I feel like, I, I don't know. I mean, I, I'm not him. I, I, I don't know what he saw, but I, I don't feel his character here is too different from some of the other char- characters he's played. I mean, most of his characters that he's played in the 80s were all kind of quirky, right? Mm-hmm. I think this one is just a little more outside the box. And, I mean, it, he couldn't have hated it that much if he came back to do One Crazy Summer. He was, Contractually, he was obligated to. Ah, okay. Yeah, because it's gotcha. the same same, um, same director. Gotcha. But, I mean, I, I think maybe he's being a little bit too harsh on it, especially given some of the other uh, movies that he's done. He's done some real stinkers in between then and now. Yeah, yeah. So. So, um, John, if you're listening, please uh, go back and rewatch it. May, may, <laughs> you know, may, maybe uh, watch it with you know some time in between here. May, maybe uh, rewatch it, and you might enjoy it. John, have a have a couple beers, have a couple shots, crash on the couch, and just laugh your ass off. Yeah, yeah, that sounds fun. I mean, I feel like rewatching it again. Um, yeah. Okay, so at this time, I'm going to go ahead and let you guys listen to the uh, interview with Diane Franklin. It's just uh, about 50-some-odd minutes. Um, she talks about uh, uh, some upcoming work that she's uh, got coming out in, in the next year. Also, some other cons that uh, she'll be appearing at. Now, around the time when she does start talking about some of the um, future appearances she'll be making, the connection got a little... It was cutting in and out a little bit, but she did provide me with, you know, the little flyers for these cons too. So if you go to the Facebook page, Podstalgic on Facebook, I'll have those flyers attached to um, the posting of this episode. So it's a little bit tough to hear where some of those locations and dates were. Um, they'll be on the flyers. So check it out there. Uh, so at this time, I'll go ahead and play that interview. 
But uh, I, I first want to uh, thank you again for uh, returning to the show. I know for the listeners that have um, listened to my show for a while, they may remember you uh, an interview that I did with you a couple years ago um, where we got to talk uh, about a lot of your uh, previous work and things like that. So we'll, we'll pro- I'll probably have some uh, similar questions from Better Off Dead. But um, first okay. off, I wanted to ask, how are the kids doing? Oh, thank you for asking. Um, my kids are amazing. I was just, we, I was just out with my husband and I mean, we're just so proud of them. And, um, my son uh, just got accepted, uh, to DePaul University, which has an amazing uh, music program. And he is a performance major for the double bass. And they, um, he just found out that he made the, uh, the DePaul symphony and his teacher is, uh, the um one of the um i think the principal bassist of the chicago symphony and he picked my son as um i guess he's like the only freshman in, uh, of a bass player of all the uh, grad students so it's incredible i'm like that's like we're so excited for him because he is in love with the bass i mean he just is obsessed with playing it and he wants to play in an orchestra symphony one day and so that's great we're really thrilled, happy and and he also i mean he's just he just loves the Chicago itself and we went to visit and we were just like big fans so that was really fun and uh he's doing great and he's happy so that's good and then my daughter she's a filmmaker and uh she's been she did a web series called Sugar Babies which is on YouTube um but she's in her senior year at UCLA and so she is kicking it and uh just um she loves it here and uh she just moved into a place with her friends and like, you know, just having that independent life. And she's just wonderful. We just love her. She's just awesome. I mean, both our kids are just very loving and they love hanging out with us. And we're like, you know, we're just so happy to, that we have them in our lives. It's just amazing. That's uh, I'm I'm happy to hear that. Uh, the last time we spoke, you mentioned uh, your son. He would make some music for Olivia's uh, film. Yes, that was in, um, that was the film Devin Wright and the Sensitive uh, uh, Boys, I guess. Uh, yeah, I think it was, I'm, there's so many movies she's done now. <laughs> and it's been a while, right? Yeah. Uh, but they're on YouTube too. And uh, uh, yeah, she loved, uh, he wrote this great music for for that. But he also, he's been writing some scores for his other friends who are making films. And so I think what's going to happen with him is he, I mean, Nick is very eclectic. Anybody who knows him knows that, I mean, he, he's trying to bring his bass work really well in, the, in his in the classical music, but it only makes him a better musician for more contemporary. So I would not be surprised if he came out with some kind of a sort of in, indie band at some point, something, or, or his own music, because he's incredibly creative and uh, beautiful, beautiful music. So I'm hoping that they'll collaborate in the future. That would be wonderful, you know, so we'll see. I hope they do, you know, I, I could see it happening. Yeah, for sure. You, you must be proud. Uh, it, I mean, just when, you know, we, I, both my husband and I spend a lot of time talking to our kids and being with them and, um, but we don't do things, you know, for them. But I have to say that like the hardest thing for me and my husband too is the, not being like what is it like helicopter parents like you know like following like how are you what are you doing like I'm really trying to pull back like trying to post not post pictures of them because you know I have to ask like now they're like adults and like oh and it's really hard because I'm so proud of them but I like I'm now I'm focusing on my own 
like it makes me focus more on what I'm doing. And so I think things are going really well because acting and teaching and everything I'm doing, um, because I have nowhere else to be the energy. <laughs> so it's pretty fun. Um, now, you you were on a previous episode, episode 46, if anyone's interested. Um, being prominent in uh, in the 80s, you were featured in a lot of movies, uh, a lot of uh, fan favorites. And I actually heard you on another show, and you kind of uh, briefly mentioned uh, knowing Elizabeth Shue, who you knew as Lisa Shue. Oh, yes, Lisa. Right. Elizabeth Shue. As, yeah, Lisa Shue. I know. Isn't that funny? Now, what I found very interesting was that what I did not know was, um, I, I guess you also auditioned for the role in Karate Kid? Yes, yes. It was uh, between me and uh, maybe in one other girl. I don't, and then, like, the, I think there were three of us who were up for that, who were screen tested. And, um, yeah, I had totally forgotten it. But, yeah, she, uh, we all auditioned and... You know, at that time, boy, screen tests were so, they're, I mean, they're such a big deal. They're a big deal now, today, but at that time it was, you know, I mean, you couldn't just do a self-test or like, you know, videotape yourself and send it into someone or, right. I mean, it was a big deal. And, and it usually came after, you know, meeting the casting director and then you had to meet the director or by the, it would be like the third time you'd be up for the role and you'd start seeing your competition more. And it was very, you had to have a, a real strong um, ability to handle pressure. I have to say this to anybody who wants to be an actor, you know, or who likes the entertainment business is obviously, you know, you're working on your craft and your talent, but another very important part of an enter being a, in the entertainment business, being an actor is knowing yourself and knowing how to get yourself in the right head to audition, because that is the key to doing well in your audition, you know, I mean, it's like, it would be like public speaking or anything else you have to do. It's how do you work with yourself? What do you need to do? Some people, maybe, you know, they need to run around the block. Maybe some, you know, get their energy out. Maybe some people need to, you know, breathe and take, breathe slow and take a deep breath. Um, I always felt, you know, when I was auditioning and when I went through a screen test or something that it would, I would focus on, my personal goal about what I wanted to accomplish for that particular audition, whether it be, it's, it's not, it's not to get the job, but more like, you know, in this audition, I want to be the most relaxed or I want to play a character that like, there's going to be part of me that they're going to see that no one else is ever like, no one's ever going to see before they're, I'm going to blow them away because no one's ever expressed love this way or expressed, you know, uh, you know, fear this way or like I I have my own personal um I guess aspirations or goals you know mm -hmm. and I think when when you go and do at that time you know for Karate Kid um I remember that that movie it was an a great movie but at the time I had read a kind of a lot of similar things and I remember going up for it thinking this character isn't something that is something I have to play. And I think sometimes, you know, you read things, and you go, oh, I please, like, I mean, like Monique and Better Off Dead. I, I mean, I wanted that part so badly because it just spoke to me. And I think when that happens is when those roles, you know, it, you, you give that extra energy, that extra life force, and that's when the magic happens, you know, for, for performers. And what were some some of the other roles that you um, auditioned for that uh, that you didn't get? Oh, 
that's a good question. Um, gosh, all right. Well, the one that I that is the most I would say life changing was Amadeus, right? Because that was that was more of a, a big career change. It would have probably been more in A list films, and just that that took me in a different direction. Um, but I was screen tested in Czechoslovakia in full costume, makeup, and you know, ready to go for that a film. I mean, that was another thing. The film was in production. They were shooting it and it was just a question of the making decision and the next day or whatever, I'd be shooting the film. So that was, that wasn't even like, we're going to shoot it. That was like, we are shooting it because they had to replace um, Tilly because she had broken her leg uh, for the film. Um, But that was definitely the first one that comes to mind. Um, I auditioned for the Terminator, I guess the girl role in the Terminator, but I was, young I think I remember that was kind of young I remember I auditioned for The Exorcist and I was too young for that as well um, but it was fun to you know it's fun to be able to say that and have gotten the size I didn't even know you know half the words I was saying they were such you know <laughs> uh, bad language I was like what's that but you know it was really funny well, I don't know what that means um, and then gosh um, I auditioned for Flashdance actually I was one of the first people the early rendition of de- uh Flash dance auditions when it was actually called something else. Uh, Flash dance had a different name, um, and I don't know if it had to do with rights or whatever. But it, it had some con- there were some problems with it at the beginning. Um, I think there was so many fun. Um, I don't think I went for the Breakfast Club, but I do think I may have gone for Sixteen Candles. I think I did meet. John Hughes, I think at that time, mm-hmm. um, and I guess I went early on, and then um, and there was a film with Tom Hanks that I uh, that he wound up getting, I think, with um, Mick Ryan, and I auditioned for that film, but I'm trying to think. It wasn't the Volcano one; it was a different one. Oh, was um, it like uh, one of the Nora Ephron movies? I think no, I think it was like a camp kind of a. Oh, I know what I auditioned for: The Bachelor. Oh, bachelor. okay. All right, bachelor party. That one I auditioned for. Right. Yes, right. <laughs> bachelor party. Yeah, funny. All the old ones. Wow. Yeah. I, it, it's funny to look at. I have this um, book. Um, you know, when you go on auditions, you have like a, I guess, like a date book. And so, in my date book, I have kept. I have all these auditions. I'd be like, audition, callback, callback, third callback. And so, what I did was, um, in the new book that I wrote, um, I put some of those in the book because I thought it was really cool to see, you know, that it's sort of just like, it was to me like my job. So, but now in retrospect, it's so exciting to look at that and go, Oh my gosh, like I almost got that. Or I had a third callback for that, or I was screen tested for this one. So um, it's, it's fun to take a look at the old books uh, from the eighties and, and, uh, or ledgers. So I would say those of you who are going on auditions, definitely write your stuff down and keep it because you never know how you know big that film might be it was kind of fun yeah the um the thought of you in the crowded kid is very exciting i i'm a huge fan of that movie uh, i love elizabeth oh, shoe in there as well but uh just to imagine you with ralph macchio i think you guys would make oh, a great yeah. couple yeah you know it's funny you say that i actually um one of the things i did on my facebook page um was asked people if i could act with any actor you know whether back then or today, who would you choose? And it was really interesting to see the the different responses. I mean, I 
I think it's, I mean, even today I'm excited because I was like, wouldn't it be great to do a movie with Robbie Downey Jr.? Because I feel like we'd have really good chemistry. Yeah. Or I'd love to do it with, you know, I'd love to do it with John Cusack again. It would be really fun to do a remake of Better Off Dead. Like just, you know, go back and see, you know, see him in a film. That would be amazing. Um, or Keanu, it would be great. I mean, how fun. I know that they're thinking of doing a Bill and Ted's three and it would be wonderful to be back with him again. I mean, um, it's just, it would be a very fun thing, but I, I wonder, like you saying Ralph Macchio, it's like, Oh yeah, that would have been really fun. Like who, who you would picture me acting with, which, you know, would be fun, but I, I'm, it's a shame. I would have loved to have worked with uh, on that film with him. That would have been really fun. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, obviously, the uh, Better Off Dead, you um, getting the role of Monique. How Do you remember the auditioning process or how the casting went? I remember when I went for Better Off Dead, I came in and met the director and the producer. Because sometimes you go in and just meet the casting directors. But this time I went in and I met the director, producer, casting was there too. And I had one audition and in the audition, they were seeing me for either Beth or Monique. But really, I was really being seen for Beth. But I had just played a French girl in, a, in another film, actually, uh, called Second Time Lucky, which really wasn't that lucky. <laughs> the film goes. Um, it was sort of a combination of Benny Hill meets Gone with the Wind. It looked beautiful, but the humor was kind of like cheesy sort of, uh, you know, kind of, um, you know, uh, punny and, and kind of like that sort of thing. But the characters in that film that I worked on were a stepping stone to doing Better Off Dead. And I played this girl, this uh, French nurse who was sort of like a Florence Nightingale and uh, I f- would take care of this soldier and talk like this. And then when I got Better Off Dead, um, I was like, well, I mean, when I went for the audition, I was like, well, I obviously am going to go for the French girl. They want to see me for the French girl. And they didn't have any idea that I could do this accent. So in the audition, I actually used my accent. And I said, well, you must. Can I try it for Monique? I would like to talk like this. So when I auditioned, Savage, uh, director, said to me, uh, Savage Steve Holland, um, can you do Monique with a lisp? And a French accent. So I said, all right, I will talk like this. And then I will add a lift to it. So this will be like, I will talk like this. <laughs> it's very difficult to say, to understand, but for some reason, he wanted me to do this. So <laughs> and so he's like, no, 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 then that's okay. But um, he, because he wanted my character to be very cute. And then they didn't say anything, but I was so, so... Oh, I was so nervous. I really wanted that that part. And when I went home, I was like, oh, my gosh, please, just this is the one. Like, this is all I want is this role. Please, this, I just feel it in my heart. And he, they called me the next day, and they told me I got it, and I just went crazy. I was so happy um, because I knew – I just knew that nobody could make it as, as real as I could. I knew I could make it work. And um, – the funny part was when we got to the set and we started doing the character at one point, I think I, I thought that he wanted me to do a French accent or we tried to do a French accent uh, with, um, I'm sorry, with a, with a list. And so there's this scene where we're in the bath uh, in the, on the table with uh, where we're all having dinner. I'm sitting next to Ricky and uh, John's mom offers me, um, Elaine's mom offers me like the French bread, the French fries and all that. All right. And I say, can I go to the bathroom? And I say, 
ooh, elle est sont, uh, sont toilette. And I use the lisp because originally I think Savage wanted me to use the lisp. And so that's the one time in the whole film I think we, I tried it, but I sound like, I, I go, ooh, ooh, sont les toilettes or something. And the way I said it, had that lisp and then afterwards went no no that's not going to work let's just do it regular so because you know you do a film out of order um so i think that's what happened in that scene i was watching go oh my gosh did i have a lisp in that scene oh that's funny <laughs> so um not funny if you watch you can listen to it funny. yeah it, it really is and i think it's funny that he wanted to add the lisp to make yeah. you more cute but it i feel for for you that that would come easy already um you know, physically oh. as well. You know, piercing blue thank eyes, you. great smile. Oh, thank you. Yeah, sure. The the character of Monique, um, I think is she's very. Um, I don't want to say maybe underrated, but uh, I don't. I don't think gets enough credit. I mean, this this came out mm-hmm. what mid '80s, and if you mm-hmm. think of all the things that Monique does, uh, she can fix cars, she can ski. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. she, well, there's a dancing scene, but, uh, there's so many qualities, uh, of her. And I think a lot of people. She's capable. She's very capable. You know? But she's also feminine, you know, yes. which I think is, is, and, and I knew that when I did that role, I knew that that character was special. Mm-hmm. I mean, I think it's kind of interesting that I had to play a French girl to be capable, <laughs> like <laughs> to be sort of like a girl who could, you know, fix cars. But at the same time, I could dress in a nice dress and go out to dinner. You know, I think it's kind of interesting that in a way I was a foreigner to be that capable, but it was a real breakthrough, I think, in the 80s as far as uh, role modeling for young women. And um, I actually wrote about that also in my new book because one of the things is, you know, we don't take, we sometimes don't realize how films affect the next generation, the generation who watches them and how they grow up. You know, really like so many girls watch that film and I was a role model for a capable young woman, you know, and I was different and I was lovable in as a character, you know, and that's like, and guys could, you know, could be attracted to a girl who was capable. All those things were, it's like, um, it was like changing, gender changing in the 80s. Yeah. And we don't necessarily think about it today, but I knew from the beginning of the 80s where I played Karen in The Last American Virgin, who was this vulnerable, innocent, but at the same time, like passive, passive, passive girl and not capable, you know, sort of one, I wouldn't say a victim, but even in Amityville, more of a, I was more of a victim there too, but passive girls. And then all of a sudden in the eighties, here's this character that can stand up on her own. And this was also obviously helped by um, John Hughes's, you know, 16 candles and all those girls, suddenly girls were the lead characters in stories. And we were, we were shown as smart and capable, but also feminine, which I think to me was, the thing um when i was growing up in the like when i guess i would say my role models when i was watching girls in the 70s they were you know like i get the farrah fawcett ones you know the kind of like charlie's angels they were the most progressive i could find Mm -hmm. but there were no teenagers like they were the older girls that you wanted to kind of be like but there were no teenagers that i could look at that were feminine um, but also strong until Brooke Shields came. And she was even a little younger than me um, because it was like Christy McNichol, Tatum O'Neill. They were more tomboyish. Mm-hmm. And 
I couldn't relate to them. But when Brooke Shields came on the scene, it was like, okay, well, here's a pretty girl. But I mean, not to say the other two girls aren't pretty. It was just that Brooke was very feminine. And I could relate to her more. But she was, I would say, maybe more objectified at the beginning. In the seven, like the teen, young teens were more objectified, and then you like at the beginning, sort of of the eighty, and then it went to full on. Okay, girls are people. Girls, you know, this all came as a as a uh, reflection of what was going on for adult women in the eighties, which was this like amazing emancipation of um, women wanting to get jobs in the in business, and uh, you know, there's films like Nine to Five and. Uh, I'm trying to think the the Holly Hunter movie. Yeah, I don't know. She did a film which also really affected women, like women's rights, women's um, evolution in, in trying to be you know taken seriously in business, competing in a man's world. Um, there, this kind of thing was really going on in the '80s, and it really was kind of laughed at more at the in the '70s about women trying to like you know get a real job and be paid equally and this all that happened in the 80s where the equality started hitting and women were taking more of the initiative of that happening and it reflected in the with teenagers you know teenagers are watching these older women you know moms were we're not saying stay home anymore moms are saying go get an education go get jobs so i as a teenager was looking for where are my role models where are the people that i can follow and when Better Off Dead came, I was like, oh my gosh, thank goodness there's a, a, a young girl here that is a great role model. I mean, for all, and when I, in, when you go on auditions and you're reading scripts and the scripts are saying, and the girl goes, you know, you know, the guy's the lead, but the girl, you know, goes off with him. You know, there were just no roles. And so it was frustrating as an actress because you get these scripts and over and over again, you're, you're saying, you know, when is the girl going to, when is there going to be a really good, strong girl part? So, um, I mean, it's been a while and I know that like, there's been a lot of more girl parts that's happening and series are starring women and women are, you know, have taken a lot more initiative, but it's been a very long road. You know, it wasn't, mm. it wasn't, it's all I can say to people is it wasn't a given. What we have today is not a given. It's a reflection of, of, of seeing, growing up, seeing a certain kind of, person and people and then moving and moving this on into the next level and trying to push that out. I mean, you know, gender equality, pushing that out, like, again, beginning of the 80s, I didn't see it. Then all of a sudden, like, I have my curly hair and virgin and that kick started, you know, curly hair, which is kind of an ethnic look. And then that broadens even more ethnicity, you know, that we're like accepting and it becomes like a part of American culture. And so I really think media and what we show in the world is um, gives the new generation, the younger generation ideas of what, you know, of being accepted and, and of being, you know, embraced by culture. So anyway, a long answer to your question. <laughs> um, I don't even, I'm going way back. Um, all I can say is my audition for Mo, as Monique, it just was great. It was just right, the right timing for me. And I, I was really, really grateful to get it. And to this day, I'm thrilled that I, I think it's the role I'm proudest of. Um, I, I would say I'm proudest of the 80s because I just did another role recently and I'm incredibly proud of this role too. So um, I don't know. <laughs> it's exciting. Yeah. The, you know, uh, obviously there's a lot of fans for this movie. and But Monique as a character, I don't think she's celebrated uh, uh, enough. Um but with Thank all, you. I yeah. appreciate it. 
Yeah, absolutely. Um, so with all the the different things that you you do have to do in the film, uh, again, you got skiing and uh, fixing cars. Like, did you have to do any type of training or uh, like for some of those scenes, like the skiing? Did you did you already mm-hmm. know how to ski? Uh, how much you know went into like prepping for those scenes? Mm-hmm. I knew how to ski. I loved skiing. In fact, that was one of the things I could do. Um, I didn't do the ski tricks because that was something that uh, they wouldn't allow me to do. Certainly, I don't know if I could have done it, but <laughs> even if I could have done anything, um, they wouldn't allow it for liability reasons, uh, especially during that time. You didn't do your own stunts. That was uh, too risky financially for the for companies. Um, but uh, And then as far as fixing the car, um, I actually don't know how to fix a car, but I will say this. I am the person who fixes everything else in my house and in <laughs> what I do. And and actually, I mean, I haven't changed a tire, but I've, you know, fixed, I've put oil in the car and, you know, I've like, I mean, I'm not afraid to lift the hood and like, you know, find out what's, you know, if there's something wrong. And I, I'd have to say that I'm, if somebody showed me how to do it, if somebody showed me how to fix a tire, I would fix my own tire. Yeah. I mean, I'm just a capable person. Like that's my nature. And I don't think I ever went around and thinking, Oh no, like, I, I always enjoyed learning how to do things like I, you know, I didn't know how to drive a six stick shift. So I was like, I'm going to learn how to drive a stick shift. You know, like I'm just of that nature. Um, I wasn't, um, I, I think also even as an actress, I was supposed to, in another film, I was supposed to ride a horse, never did. I'm like, I'm going to do this. So uh, part of it, I think is my, you know, as an actress, I have a maverick nature. So I, I think um, I'm always willing to try something and I, think probably that that paid off with better off dead so but i will tell you the really funny part there's a scene where john and i are under the car and we're i guess you know you're trying to fix something and some oil supposedly runs on his eyes his face and stuff and when we did that scene that was chocolate syrup and i died i died when he did it i he made me laugh so hard so that laughter is so real i crying laughing it was so funny there's something about his reaction he just took it so like slowly he was like uh uh and, and then when you see that scene uh just know that's chocolate syrup because it was really funny and uh it was good it was a funny scene that is that's very interesting um yeah. what, what do you remember your time with like uh dan schneider and laura uh, waterbury w- whether it was um huh? Uh, like during filming or maybe, you know, yeah. um, any downtime in between takes? Well, what are your memories with them? Um, first of all, we had the best time. This film, everybody bonded. I don't know. Um, I think it was, the first thing I think was everybody, including John, loved the script. It was so refreshing and it was so funny. And it, I think... I mean, from the beginning, everybody really loved loved the material. And Savage, Steve Holland, was so nice, and he was such a sweet guy. I mean, his crews love him. He is the best director as far as just everybody loves him. Everyone loves to work for him. And it's because he's so appreciative to everybody, and he's always asking, are you okay? I mean, he doesn't see, you know, from the biggest actor to the, you know, the smallest person like whoever if it's you know a, a grip or of, of of some you know visiting the set i mean he's the nicest to everyone he's always very considerate to every person that he sees on the set so um 
then what we would do is we wound up shooting in um, Snow Valley and Snowbird. Snowbird, that's where we went. And Snowbird, we I guess they rented a condo and we went during an off time. I don't know if that was like November or something when we rented it. And so the place was empty except for us, the filming crew. So we bonded at the uh, lodge because... I think it was the Snowbird Lodges where we were. We bonded as a as a cast because there was nobody else there, and so we spent time together. So after shooting, we'd like have like a hot toddy or something, and like you know sit around the fire. And um, Aaron would tell Aaron who played Aaron Dozier who played Roy, who plays Roy. He would tell these great stories, and we would just be laughing and just hanging out, and uh, we just bonded as a group. And I mean, and Danny was just so funny, and Curtis. I mean, all I can tell you is, I mean, when you socialize with these people, oh my gosh, like it is hilarious. Like you are just dying laughing and having a great time. Uh, we, I mean, it was just, it was like being friends with like comedy improv people. Like you're just, just having the blast. So um, we would like get together at night, and then. We'd shoot in the next day, and um, sometimes when we were on the mountain, you know, it was, I remember with, um, Beth, we had all these scenes on the hill, and when it was snowing, it was cold, and we would go to say our lines, and we couldn't move our mouths because it was so cold. So you're, you're like, you couldn't say your line because you're, you're frozen, and it was so <laughs> funny. I think I couldn't use my French accent when I took like this, like, but now you know, frozen, I could like this, I couldn't move my mouth. It was so, like, what seemed easy was now almost impossible on the slopes because it was so cold. So I don't know if we had to do ADR for that, but um, I just remember bonding with uh, Amanda on that and saying, oh my gosh, like, I can't believe, can you move your mouth? It's really freezing out here. And, um, but we, we just enjoyed it. I mean, it was, it was super fun. And I think that the reactions, like you see, like we would shoot this film and we'd have to cut because the crew was laughing. That's how funny it was. And so I've always been interested to see like the footage that what didn't make the film because it was so funny. Like there were so many takes and we'd improvise different things. And I just wonder, you know, somewhere, I think probably in Savage's garage somewhere are these takes that are just brilliant. And I hope someday they, they put it on a, a Blu-ray or something and, you know, add it. But, but in the meantime, I have an I have a little plan. I have a secret plan. I'm going to tell you okay. and every one of your listeners. Well, it's, it's not super secret, but it's like a beginning secret. Okay. Um, starting next year, um, I have a, a book that I that I have out this year, but I'm going to do a third book, and I'm going to start it next year. And what I'm going to do is I'm I have the actual coat from Better Off Dead, and I'm going to have any person. Uh, I go to conventions, and when I go to conventions, I have people wear the coat, and I take a picture with them wearing it, whether they are, whether I'm in it or they want me to wear it or whatever. And so I t- let people take pictures uh, with the coat on. And so what I'm going to do is, starting next year, I'm going to ask people if they have a picture of when they met me at any time, uh, they can send it to me Um tell me the convention it was in and the year and, and their names. And I'm going to put it in a book and I'm going to make the book officially like a better off dead, like coffee table kind of book where I'm going to have pictures, all the pictures of all the people in the coats um, because that's what bonds us all that humor, yeah. right. With yeah. the film. And then um, in it, I want to have like special features where I interview Savage or uh, maybe Kim Darby or, you know, all the things like we've always wanted to have in a special feature of Better Off Dead, but we never got. 
um, I don't know, for some reason, I, I tried to get to find out if, you know, um, CBS or whoever was handling the, you know, the Blu-rays, if they would put something out like that. And they, they didn't want to do it right away. So I was like, well, you know, you can't wait forever. I mean, Laura Waterbury isn't with us anymore. And, uh, you know, um, the Paperboy isn't with us anymore. And so, like, it's just, I mean, not the Paperboy, the, um, the mailman uh, oh, right. who played the mailman. So um, what was his name? Um, 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 Taylor Negron. Uh, Taylor Negron. Taylor, thank you. Thank you. I'm sorry. That was just uh, my, just was like, I think it's just because I, when I think about him, it's just like so sad. I see yeah. him as him and I, we did an episode of Encyclopedia Brown together. And then now his name, I was like, oh no, I miss you. You know, it's just hard to imagine that it actually happened. But so what I'm saying is, you know, it's a moment in time and we just want to take advantage of, of this moment and what a happy moment it is with better off dead. It's, I can't tell you how exciting when people tell me they love better off dead. It's joy. I've just, I'm so happy and I'm just glad that people are, you know, watching it and then they're passing it on to the next generation and that the next generation gets it, you know, I mean, you, and now when I look at it though, it's so funny because there's so many dated things I didn't even realize. Um, what you know it's like eight track tape or like when, when <laughs> music in a tape thing like there are so many i don't know funny things that are now it it shows it's how old it is but um even the phone using the phones cell phones you know um which i think even makes it even better so i'm just uh sentimental about it i guess <laughs> and that's what's good about this movie is because the jokes are still funny you know the the jokes are, are timeless and um you know do you think so i mean i, I think, think so, so but absolutely maybe it's me <laughs> I, you know i i think uh, a lot of it has to do with like physical comedy as well uh i, mm -hmm. I know we were just kind yeah. of talking about like the skiing scene and john cusick has that one moment it's like well if you could do it i could do it too and then i'm sure it's a right. stuntman that's just going down the slopes and tumbling yeah and and that's yeah, that's hilarious. that was great like, though. He did yeah. a great job. The stunts were fabulous. Like I mean, like the paper boy, the whole everything was just so. I mean, the skiing on somebody skied on one ski, right? Right. Oh, and then the <laughs> paper know, boy like, was on a bike <laughs> going down the slope. Yeah, on a bike with one ski. It's like oh my gosh, like great. So yeah, you're right. It does. There's so many things that do translate. You know. That is funny. Uh, you, you mentioned that uh, you've been uh, doing a lot of the cons. Um, what has that experience been like? Like, uh, uh, what, what are some of the common things that, uh, you know, the fans would say? Or is there any kind of weird story that you'd like to share about that? Um, when I go to conventions, I have to say I'm really lucky. When I first went, I was definitely nervous. I I didn't know what to expect. Um, I think it 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 also has to do with the kinds of cons you go to. My first con was a, like, it was more of a old Hollywood entertainment. So like a lot of older Hollywood actors. Um, and that was more of like a trade show. So I got a lot of people coming who were collectors. And they were very respectful and totally nice. And, and I got a wide range of things. Then I went to a Comic-Con. Their Comic-Cons are great. Um, uh, and, but they are more like, they would know me from Bill and Ted and better off dead. Um, and people would bring their kids and that's like a different vibe. Then I went to like horror conventions. Now horror conventions, I was beginning, I, you, you know, you might say, Oh my gosh, I'm so afraid. 
oh my gosh, nicest people. The nicest people are at, at horror conventions. I was shocked when I first went. I was totally shocked. I think it's because, um, well, first of all, every, a lot of people like to dress up. Right. And it's such a creative aspect to like the makeup and it's like an art. I mean, it really is. It's an art to do horror well. So um, I think it's just fascinating and people love it. And the big irony for me was when I went, I thought, oh, everyone's going to be, you know, knowing about Amityville to the possession, which I did. And people would come to the convention and go, oh my gosh, better off dead. (laughs) (laughs) Or Terror Vision. They come with Terror Vision. I'm like, where did you even hear about this film? And it became like a cult classic television came up because um it was a parody of the 80s made in the 80s so no one got it right but now because it's past the 80s people totally get it and now they're appreciative of it and it's like a b film but it's a hilarious and it's fun it's it's like a fun movie to watch it's just relaxing and fun and funny and weird and it's kind of like watching the blob you know but you know it's like you watch a film i mean that's more serious but um, it's fun, but anyway, so I would say, okay, as far as my experience at the cons, what happens is I'm just, usually, I mean, I've met, I can say maybe, maybe there were two people in the, all the times I've ever had, uh, been at a convention that were weird, or I would say <laughs> weird. Um, one was, well, one guy was just and so he was like saying some nasty things to all those people, to all the women there. So he got taken away, which is oh, like, wow. oh, well, okay, goodbye for you. Right? Yeah. That's not working, right? That's not appropriate. We don't want to be talking to ladies like this. Yeah. Um, and, uh, but, but, you know, he was, he wasn't being angry. He was just being, you know, Inappropriate. descriptive. Yeah, sure. Um, and, right, and then another guy, um, he, this guy was a little, I remember it was I was doing um, a convention and it was with the rest of the people from Last American Virgin, and I was the last person in line for them to meet. And they would all the people in the cast were looking at me like, "Oh my gosh, watch out for this guy!" You know, he's trouble. And he came to me, and he said to me, "You know, I was so mad at you for what you did in Virgin, and." I would never have done what you did. I would never have done. And he said it over and over and over and over again, like he couldn't get over it. And I just was like, I just, I looked him straight in the eye and I just said, you're right. I'm sorry. I was wrong. And he looked at me and he went, thank you. Oh, wow. Jeez. (laughs) (laughs) And it was like, I realized, you know, sometimes people watch these films and they think it's real. And he needed closure. Yeah. And he didn't. He just needed closure. He just needed somebody to say, "Yeah, that's not okay." And he needed me to say it. And I said it. And then he felt better. And I actually said that to one other guy, and that guy broke out, broke down in tears. It was interesting because, wow. again, like, look, you know, you we watch films, and I do not think it's silly. I think you know we watch films, and they affect our lives. Mm-hmm. Yeah, film. You can watch a film, and it can affect the rest of your life if you see it at the right time, and you suddenly something clicks, and you go, "Okay, that's that's what I want to do." And I really believe that films inspire us, and then they also they teach us so much about life. They just we you go in a movie theater, and you you let down your guard and you take in everything and there's nothing to distract you, not even your phone. Right. Right. 
and now you you can just be in the moment and so those experiences the actors feel you can feel and in life we may not be able to feel those feelings you know maybe it's not appropriate to be sad sometimes maybe it's not appropriate to be angry at someone but when you see it on screen and someone's actually acting out what's really going on you let down those defenses and you become those people and sometimes you connect with the people on screen and that what, that's what gets to connect you to yourself. Right. So I think that's one of the reasons why film and television are so, um, well, especially film because of, I mean, that feeling when you're in a theater and, you know, you, it's just you and, and, you know, you watching this big screen and it can have a lot of impact. But I, I really believe that's why entertainment is, it really affects our world. And perhaps why people carry their phone and look at it all the time. It's, I mean, it's not just, you know, information and, you know, obviously keeps us from being bored, but it makes us think, you know? Um, but the, the only thing about the phone is that it can become addictive and it's not very good for your eyes. Right. It's better to see things on a bigger screen. Yeah. <laughs> you know? uh, has, have you ever seen anybody dress up as any, any of the characters that you have played? Oh, that's a great question. I've always wanted somebody to dress up like me from Better Off Dad. I really did. <laughs> and um, I was hoping, like, somebody, um, I'm trying to think, Ter- I haven't seen TerraVision. My God, like, who that would be, be great to see yeah. Putterman? Um, Karen, most people probably wouldn't dress up as, um, but they could because it's 80s, looks 80s. Um, Amityville, I don't know. Yeah, um, that would be fun. I, I would have to say, one day, maybe someone will dress as Monique. Um, but who knows? Maybe uh, it, it would be really fun. What I'm trying to do, I would love to have a... I was talking to a, a guy about making a um, a uh, action figure of Monique Genet. I thought that would be really fun. Oh, that would be really awesome. Because we have awesome. all the Bill and You know, like a little action figure. Because, you know, she's she is a role model of action, you know. So we'll see. We'll see what happens. Right. Maybe someday. Uh, as we uh, get ready to wrap up here, um, what other upcoming projects do you have in the works? And also, you mentioned uh, earlier this year you, you released another book. Yes. Okay. So the first thing is um, I came out with a new book in February. Um, it's called Diane Franklin, The Excellent Curls of the Last American French Exchange Babe of the 80s. And, and you don't have to remember that title. Just look up Diane Franklin on Amazon, Diane Franklin book on Amazon. And it's just look for the one with, uh, it says curls, not adventures. And that's my second book. Um, and that book is a big surprise because it's all I have to say about it is last American Virgin was a film that actually has a felt affected culture. And, um, my, the book that came out is I was the first actress that kickstarted all the curly hair of the eighties. And when I, when I wrote the book, the realization of that whole thing came on because I knew during that time that it was happening, but I couldn't say anything. I mean, it wasn't like that wasn't my focus. My focus was acting and doing roles, but I knew because I had done modeling years before that that was happening because curly hair wasn't a thing. You could not get arrested. You could not get a work with curly hair. So it's an incredibly interesting book. It's historical and there's tons of photos and there's, I have a better off dead section and uh, Bill and Ted's, but it, there's no other book like it. Honestly, it's historic. Um, I actually uh, was trying to, um, I 
I went. I graduated from college this year. Thank you. Uh, <laughs> wow, congrats. Um, and uh, I majored in writing. And one of the things that helped me, it helped me write these books. So um, I, I was talking about because I graduated from CSUN. Um, although I went to NYU, it's the first part of my ac- uh, academics. I wound up graduating from CSUN because I live out here in Los Angeles now. So anyway, these books are, uh, all I can say is you'll never see anything like them. They are awesome. People love them, and they come from my heart. And um, the great thing also, Brett Ratner, who is a major, major uh, producer, um, director, director mostly, but um, he produced um, all these major, there's so many films, I mean, like, that are coming out, that's come out, The Reverend, Mm -hmm. uh, Revenant, uh, he produced, part produced that film as well, and... um, he did like all the rush hour films directed and um, just, and such a sweet guy. And he did my forward, my book forward for me um, and talks about how he was like, he almost, he loved Virgin so much and he fell in love with this curly hair and he dated a woman and he almost married her because of how he was affected by how I looked in that film. My, my curly hair. And so it's just like, it's, it, that film affected a lot of people. Um, it's just a great story. So that's on Amazon. Um, the other thing is last within the last couple of years, I've done four feature films and they should be coming out next year, all coming out. So there's a resurgence in my career, which is unbelievable. I would never have expected it. Um, I just have been, you know, doing parts. I started doing films for my daughter, that she knew when she needed my help to do things. And then I wound up, doing a film, um, uh, like an art film called The Final Interview. Look out for, these are the films, The Final Interview, Waking Nightmare, um, which is a thriller with um, Shelley Regner, who plays my daughter. She was in the Pitch Perfect movies, mm-hmm. and she plays one of the Bellas. And um, David Naughton's in the film, and um, Jamison Newlander, he plays my husband in the film, in the Waking Nightmare film. And then I did a film called Wally Got Wasted, which is sort of like Weekend at Bernie's. It's a comedy. <laughs> That'll be out next year. And then the best one, I'm, I mean, I'm saying best because it's the most exciting for me role-wise, was um, I just did the role of Louise DeFeo in the Amityville Murders film, which is going to be coming out sometime next year. It's called, so look out for, um, it's called The Haunting in Long Island, uh, the Amityville murders. And I did Amityville to the possession in the eighties and I played the daughter and now I'm playing the mother Oh wow! in the same story. It's about the DeFeo murders and it's based on real facts. So this is even to me, I think it's even better than Amityville too. It's we were, it was just so exciting. And my acting in it is out of control. It's unbelievable. I mean, I have to say when I auditioned, for the part, the director got up and was heaving crying. And they were saying, and said, you are Louise. You are my Louise. I was like, oh my God, oh my God. It was out of control. I'll probably wind up telling the story in, in more detail as we get closer to the coming out. But it was intense and it was, it was a great experience for me as an actress. I really came, came, to, my, came to my own and juicy part and great cast. And there's going to be some wonderful surprises. There's going to be some great surprises in it for people. So, yeah, I'm, yeah, I'm beside myself. I'm so excited. 
Yeah, I'm very so happy for that. you. Yeah, that's that's amazing. That's a Thank lot of, a lot of work there. Yeah, I mean, and they might do Bill and Ted's next year. Who knows if I'll be in that? You know, both as three. So, who knows? All the remakes of the films. We'll, we'll keep your fingers crossed. Not yeah, good, you know. I would definitely love for you to return to Bill and Ted and play one of the princesses again. It would be lovely. <laughs> it would be great. Uh, now, I do live in Portland, Oregon, and as I understand it, you'll be coming to Oregon for something coming up here. Yes. Okay. Well, if you would like to meet me, if you would like to be have a picture wearing the coat and be part of my book experience, um, then here are the conventions to go to. So let me see where I can. I'm going to tell you about the dates. All right. So this coming, first of all, me um, this coming September 22nd to the 24th, I'm going to be in New Jersey at New Jersey Horror Con. So that's this weekend coming up. Um, the following weekend, September 29th to October 1st. I'm going to be at, uh, a, I think it's called Sci-Fi Con, and it's in Lake Tahoe. So if you're in Lake Tahoe during that time, come and see me because it'll be super fun. It's at the Hard Rock uh, Cafe uh, in Hard Rock Hotel in Tahoe. And then um, in October, I'm going to be in uh, it's like upstate New York for a convention called AuthorCon. <laughs> Too old, Peter. Um, and then October 28th and 29th, um, I'm going to be at Halloween Town in St. Helens. Um, and there's going to be a great, like, the, if you don't know this, I guess Halloween Town is uh, a celebration of the film Halloween Town. They turn, like, the whole town uh, into, like, the film. And Debbie Reynolds used to come there. And this year they're going to do a memorial to her. Um, and all the cast is coming to celebrate it. Um, for the whole month of October, there's different times. But I'm going to be there the 28th and the 29th. Or, uh, that's Saturday. I think it's 3 p.m. I think in town square and I'll be signing autographs and um, it'll be just great. I'm so excited to go. I've never gone to Oregon. I'm excited to be in Oregon. And um, I guess there's this newspaper called the Chronicle, um, some a Chronicle paper. And that gives you even more detail on, on my, what I'm doing up there and, uh, and, and, and attending this event. So Anybody's in Oregon, come and see me. I'm excited to see you and, and be yeah. up there. I think I'm going to lead a parade as well. Okay, well that's that's awesome. Yeah, I, I hear it's a pretty big deal, and um, it seems to be a pretty big event. I often see people tag me since I live in Oregon that hey, you know, you should go check it out. But it, it is kind of far for me. But uh, we'll see. Maybe um, maybe one year. Um, now, yeah. are if you welcome the interaction, is there anywhere listeners can get a hold of you to talk to you about yeah. any previous work or even future work? Sure. Okay. So here's the scoop. I am. I have a Facebook account, but it's full. And so what happens is people are friending me, but I have to direct them to someplace else because I had a second Facebook account, but it got Facebook shut it down. Sadly, I guess they found out. So. Um, here is what you can do. First of all, um, you can go to Twitter and you can go to Diane Franklin 80 on Twitter. Okay. Eight O not at no S. Then if you're on Instagram, you can go to Diane to be with you, which is D I A N E T O B E Y O U. And that's on Instagram. And then I would recommend on Facebook, go to Diane Franklin fan and you'll see a black and white pictures from my book. Um, and if you, I guess, friend me or something, then I can accept you there. And I guess you can't 
say something, but I could say something to you. I'm very confused with all these cages, <laughs> what they do, but um, basically, but all these places I'm telling you, I will post my events of what's coming up and I will post when conventions are happening. And uh, also if you look just on Don Franklin page, like you'll see, um, I'm wearing like white, a white jacket. Um, then you can like check and see information there. Basically anything on Facebook that you see uh, with my face on it is me. And I will tell you my most recent uh, places to meet me, which will be fun. And it's, by the way, it is fun. I have the best times at conventions. If you come to my table, you, you're going to leave feeling like, oh, wow, this is a great convention. I swear. I'm, I've, I'm really good at uh, having people come and making it their worth, worth their time. All right. And that wraps it up. I want to thank again, Miss Diane Franklin, for giving me the amazing opportunity and pleasure to speak with her about, you know, her experience in filming the movie, some of her previous work. Uh, there is one thing that I really wanted to ask her, but we were just kind of running, uh, kind of ran out of time was that I wanted to ask her, you know, if she had to choose, you know, of her previous work, which movie would she like to see remade? And so that's one question I would have looked love to ask. But um, Tom, do you think like do you think this movie could be remade and still be really good, or do you think it's fine the way it is? Or what are your thoughts on that? It would be hard to remake it because it's one of those movies that is clearly of its time, mm-hmm. and uh, there's a lot of dark humor that we were saying that I don't know if you could really get away with in this day and age. I mean. It's like we were saying, they're literally making jokes about suicide. You can't really get away with that these days. Yeah, it, it's tough. You can, but it's tough. I mean, the, my first example I want to go to is probably World's Greatest Dad with Robin Williams. You know, there's a yeah. lot of dark humor there. And, uh, you know, it's kind of, kind of the same, actually. But I mean, even the, the, the Asian guys that are into drag racing, <laughs> I don't think you could get away with that today and probably for good reason i mean i could see where it might not be the the wisest thing to do um and it's just again one of those movies that i don't know if it would really kind of fly with today's senses of humor yeah yeah you're right it's 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 a little dated but uh i think what works is the humor i think it's still uh still really funny um the movie's still extremely fun mm-hmm. um but yeah I mean, it, it's dated, but that's not always a bad thing. I no, mean, no, not movies all. can act as sort of, you know, time capsules of a, a certain bygone era. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And I'm glad that you had a lot of fun with this movie because I was hoping that this wasn't something that was like, uh, you know, the nostalgia factor that, that people always mm-hmm. kind of often go to. Even for me, watching it just a few years ago for the very first time, I had a lot of fun. I enjoyed it much more this time around. But yeah. that's probably because I had my podcasting hat on and I was just having a lot of fun with this movie. Yeah, yeah, I was definitely trying to pick up things in the background that, you know, I, I might not have paid too much attention to otherwise. But but yeah, I, I'm really glad that you recommended this to me. So thank you, sir. Hey, no problem. Well, thank you for uh, coming on the show to review this movie. Um, so again, where can listeners find your show and uh, maybe an upcoming episode that they can uh, check out? Uh, well, you can find me again uh, anywhere you can find your traditional podcasting sources, but uh, I always recommend the Android users hitting up the Couch Party app on the Google Play Store. Uh, as far as upcoming episodes, uh, 
probably by uh, a week from when this comes out, we're going to have an interview with uh, a comic book writer by the name of Devin Grayson. If you were a comic book reader in the 1990s, you know the name. She wrote some of the better Batman stories that came out of that era. Uh, super great writer, even better person, just an incredibly smart, talented, funny person. And I, I'm really looking forward to putting that out. Awesome. And uh, what is your Twitter handle, just so listeners can, uh, if, if they want to get a hold of you? Yeah, uh, you can find me at the Drunken Dork. Uh, our Twitter, I'm sorry, our Facebook page is Drunken Dork News. Uh, my co-host Jake runs that. All right. And for me, if you guys want to get a hold of me and find any of my other work, uh, you can actually just you know follow me on Instagram and Twitter at Podstalgic. Um, if you go to my Facebook page, I uh, you know post all the episodes there as well. Um, Podstalgic and We Got Five are both part of the Court and Parts family. Uh, you can find all of our content at courtandparts.com. And um, so that will do it uh, for me and Tom. You will uh, hear him again coming in October, where we will go back and watch the entire seven seven installments of the uh, Nightmare on Elm Street movies, you know, the, yeah. uh, the original ones. Now, I again, I feel like I've only seen two or three of them. Um, we're going to do something a little bit different on those episodes, and instead of, you know, going on Rotten Tomatoes or IMDb, I think we're going to do some type of, like, Peter Scare Meter, you know, or, how, you know, <laughs> oh, how, many, no. how many times did I have to close my eyes, you know, so, something like that. I'm I'm looking forward to it, sir. So am I. So am I. So uh, I want to thank everybody for uh, listening to this episode. Uh, if you guys uh, have subscribed to this show before, please consider leaving an iTunes review. Uh, that really help out the visibility. Uh, it'll help out you know l- other listeners like you uh, find the show. Um, often people go in those reviews and they want to see what other uh, other people say. You know, so if you guys uh, say positive things or just give me good ratings, that really help me out, and I'd really appreciate it. So again, thank you everyone for your continued support. We will see you next time. Thank you for listening to the Court and Parts Podcast Network. To listen to more Court and Parts shows, visit courtemparts.com.